Welcome to the sermons of Steve Galloway, pastor of First Baptist Church, Macon, Mississippi. Let us join together and study God's Word and apply it to our hearts so that we may learn His truths and live faithful, obedient lives. May God bless our time together. Let me invite you to turn your Bibles to Colossians chapter 1, verses 24 through 29. Continue our study out of this book of Colossians, dealing with uh, false teachers within that church. And if you will read this passage of Scripture and really this entire uh, book, you will realize that Paul could have easily been writing this to our church and to the churches of our year right now. So allow me to read passage uh, out of Colossians chapter 1, verses 24 through 29. Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I do my share on behalf of his body, which is the church, in filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions. Of this church I was made a minister according to the stewardship from God bestowed on me for your benefit, so that I might fully carry out the preaching of the word of God. That is the mystery which has been hidden from the past ages and generations, but has now been manifested to his saints, to whom God will to make known what is the riches of his glory, of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. We proclaim him, admonishing every man, and teaching every man with all wisdom, so that we may present every man complete in Christ. For this purpose also I labor, striving according to his power, which mightily works within me. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Dear Lord, continue to open our hearts and our minds to the truth of your word. Lord, help us to see how we need to be living a surrendered life unto you. Lord, not asking what do we get out of being a child of God, but what do we give? Not asking how much it's going to cost us. But Lord, how much you want us to give. Lord, may we be found faithful in serving you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, let me ask you something. If you received a letter from somebody who was in prison, and they were trying to tell you how you ought to live, how much stake would you put in that letter? Well, that's exactly what the church of Colossians was receiving. They were receiving a letter from Paul. He was not in a prison. He was under house arrest, but he was considered a prisoner. Now, we're dealing with false teachers in the church of Colossae. You know good and well they're doing everything that they can to convince the people at that church not to listen to a man like Paul. They know that Paul is preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ, which they are trying to counteract. And so they're going to do their very best to try to push them away from listening to anything that Paul would have to say for them. And so Paul has already dealt in the first chapter, the first, uh, first half of the chapter, he basically spends in a type of a prayer for the people there at the church in Colossae. And then he also spends some time uh, encouraging them, telling them how important it is for them to place their trust in Jesus. But now he realizes that he needs to probably defend himself a little bit to make sure that the people there at that church of Colossae are willing to understand who he is and why he has the authority to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. 
And so, you know, a lot of us, if we were trying to defend ourselves, we would kind of go back and, well, we'd give our, you know, what, what we see on the biographical little sketch on the back of a book of somebody that wrote something, all the little things that they've accomplished, all the degrees that they have. Well, he kind of did that when he wrote to the church in Philippi. Philippians chapter 3, verse 5, he says, Circumcised the eighth day of the nation of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, to the law a Pharisee. I am on, aren't I? Yeah. Okay. See, he's, he was touting his accomplishments then. He could have even gone further. He could have said, you know, not only was I a, uh, a Pharisee, but I studied under one of the greatest rabbis ever known, Gamaliel. And so Paul had a very good biography. He could have touted that. But instead, what does Paul talk about? He says, it is my rejoicing that I suffer for your sake. He is talking about his willingness to give of himself, to suffer, to labor for the ministry of Christ. Now, instead of following the, the path of least resistance, which unfortunately we all kind of tend to do, he was basically saying, I will do whatever the Lord commands me to do. And he puts it into fact. In the second time that he wrote to the church at Corinth, 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 24 through 27, Here's just a brief list of the things that Paul has gone through in his ministry. Five times I received the Jews' 39 lashes. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was spent in the deep. I have been on frequent journeys, in danger from rivers, dangers from robbers, dangers from my countrymen, dangers from the Gentiles, Dangers in the city, dangers in the wilderness, dangers on the sea, dangers among false brethren. And I have been in labor and hardship through many sleepless nights, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. But then, in the very next verse, verse 28, Paul talks about how important it is for his ministry to the church. Verse 28 of chapter 11 in 2 Corinthians. Apart from such external things, there is the daily pressure on me of concern for all the churches. So Paul has gone through all these physical sufferings, but he says, my greatest pressure is on fulfilling God's call that he's placed on me for the churches. So if there's been any doubt as to whether or not Paul should be listened to, those doubts should be resolved by now. So we look and we see that uh, Paul has listed how God has used him, how he has suffered for the ministry of Christ. And he says in verse 24, the very first part, Now I rejoice in my suffering. When's the last time that you said, I am rejoicing that I'm suffering? Anybody done that any time? Well, James said pretty much the same thing. He said, count it all joy, my brethren, when you face the various trials of life. We find this throughout the Word of God, that we don't need to take the easy way out. See, there's a fictitious belief in too many churches that 
If you believe in Jesus Christ, he will take away all your suffering, all your pain, all your problems. That's not biblical. Matter of fact, the opposite is more true. Philippians chapter 3, verse 10, Paul says, That I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings, being conformed to his death. Well, Paul's kind of a unique guy. How about other people? Well, how about what Jesus tells us? Matthew chapter 16, verse 24. Then Jesus said to his disciples, If anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Now, taking up your cross, what does that mean? Does that mean going through a little discomfort? No. It actually means being willing to die for the cause of Christ. Jesus took up his cross and he walked to Calvary and they nailed him on that cross and he died for our sins. And so he's basically saying we need to die to ourselves and be willing to face whatever suffering, whatever consequences, whatever cost there is to following him. Then another man, Peter, 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 12 through 14. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeals among you which comes upon you for your testing, as though some strange thing has happened to you. But to the degree that you share the sufferings of Christ, Keep on rejoicing, so that also at the revelation of his glory you may rejoice with exultation. If you are reviled for the name of Christ, you are blessed, because the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. So Paul shows that suffering actually needs to be a part of being a child of God. The more you serve the Lord, the more or greater chance that you have of suffering. Now, does being surrendered to the Lordship of Christ actually mean that you will suffer? Not necessarily. I've shared with you all a number of times. We live at the belt buckle of the Bible belt. We're probably in the safest place in the entire world to be a Christian. Think about it. We have the freedom to be here. There's nobody standing outside with pickets or trying to rush the podium and say, shut up, or anybody trying to bring lawsuits against us for proclaiming the, the gospel. You go to some other countries and you cannot proclaim the gospel. You can't meet in a place like this. Places in our own United States of America where Christianity is being shut down by protesters, by those who proclaim that they are trying to shut down those who are having hate speech towards them. Yes, it's coming. It is here. Persecution for Christians, even in our own nation, is taking place. But we're probably in the safest place that you could probably be to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. But the gospel is filled with warnings that if we are faithful to the Lord with our lives, with ministering in his name, then we may pay a cost. Then Paul says something a little bit difficult for us to understand in the last half of verse 24. He says, he's doing this uh, sharing in the flesh so that uh, I may share on the behalf of the body, which is the church, in filling up which is lacking in Christ's afflictions. Did Jesus not be afflicted enough 
Was his death on the cross not enough? Well, obviously it is. We know that Jesus is the only way for us to receive salvation. It is through his death, his burial, his resurrection, his ascension that we stake our faith in him. So what is Paul talking about? Do you remember what Jesus said at the very end of Matthew chapter 28, just before he ascended into heaven? He told his followers, Go ye, therefore, into all the world, making disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And lo, I am with you always, even to the ends of the age. That's what Paul's talking about. Lacking of Christ's afflictions is the continuation of sharing the gospel. After Jesus ascended into heaven, he gave us, his children, the Spirit of God to live in us. The Holy Spirit. And he gives us this command to continue to be the hands and feet of Christ, to go out into the world to share the gospel. And so basically what Paul is saying is that he is doing his part to continue to fill up what is lacking. What is lacking? What's lacking in our world today? Children of God sharing their love for Christ with the world around them. That's what's lacking. Paul is doing all that he can to fill up what is lacking in Christ's affliction. We need to be doing that same thing. Then he continues, says, of this church. Well, was Paul talking about the church at Colossae? No. He's talking about the church, the church universal, all brothers and sisters in Christ. If you remember in his missionary journeys, he traveled through many cities and everywhere he could, he set up a church, left uh, leaders behind, and even like Colossae where he had never visited, he knows of their faithfulness to the Lord, and he's looking at the church, the church of God, and he is a minister of them. It says, of this church I was made a minister. Now, y'all remember the story. Paul was not always known as Paul. He was also known as Saul. He was a Jewish persecutor of Christianity. He had received a letter where he could go into Damascus and he could arrest Christians because of their faith in Christ. But along the way, he was struck by this bright light and the voice from heaven says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? He says, Lord. And right then, God called him as a minister of the gospel. And Paul, Saul's life was transformed to where he was no longer Saul, but Paul. And God has used him mightily, not only 2,000 years ago, but still today as we study the books that he wrote under the inspiration of the, of the, gospel, of the Spirit. So Paul is talking about God called me as his minister and if God calls you, guess what he does? He equips you. That's what we see next in verse 25. Of this church, I was made a minister according to the stewardship from God bestowed on me for your benefit. See, God gives each and every child of God spiritual gifts. God obviously gave Paul the gift of evangelism. He had this boldness where he could go anywhere and everywhere preaching the gospel, and God used him mightily. But 
Basically, Paul is saying, you know, that's not me. That's not my gift. That is God's gift given to me. I'm just a simple steward of what God has given to me. And that's the same for each and every one of us. Whatever gift in this that God has given us, we need to be stewards of it. In other words, using it for the glory of God. Not hoarding it for ourselves, but to do it for God's glory. And so that's exactly what Paul is saying, is that I'm being a steward of what God has called me to do. And this enables him to carry forth the gospel into the world, and it's the same gift that God gives us so that we can be a, a part of his ministry. And he's going to use us in different ways because he's gifted us in different ways. Not all of us can be a Paul. Not all of us can have this wonderful gift of evangelism where you just have this desire to go anywhere and everywhere proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ. For many, we'll never set foot out of our close group of friends and families and our neighbors and our communities. And that's okay. As long as we're using whatever God gifted us with for his glory. It may mean that you have the gift of hospitality and you invite people into your home and while they're there you share your love for Christ and you share your personal testimony of how he has changed and transformed your life. Many different ways God can use us with the giftedness that he's given us. So if he's called you to be a child of God, he's also gifted you and equipped you to do whatever it is he desires. Then verses 26 and 27 talk about a mystery. Let me just read this passage. That is the mystery which has been hidden from the past ages and generations, but has now been manifested to his saints, to whom God willed to make known what is the riches of his glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Now, we've already dealt with this a little bit. These false teachers, the kind of the early Gnostics, Basically, we're saying, well, we have this secret knowledge that we want to teach you as to how you can have this inherent relationship with God. But basically what Paul's saying, you don't need man's teachings, man's notions of how to get to God. God's already made it. Matter of fact, it began way back in the Old Testament in the prophets. The prophets spoke of this coming Messiah, this Savior of man saving them from their sins. But yet, this Messiah was a mystery to them. They knew about him, but they didn't know who he would be, when he would come on the scene. They did not know all that he would do. They had glimpses, they had visions, they had prophecies about him. But for thousands of years, Jesus was a mystery. But now, Paul is saying he is no longer a mystery. He is Jesus, your hope of glory. See, Jesus has already come, born of a virgin, lived a perfect, sinless life. He has come and died in our place for our sins. Then he has boldly come and raised from the dead so that he has victory over sin and death. He has given us the victory over all things. And then he raised and ascended into the heavens to be at the right hand of God, to intercede on our behalf. He is no longer a mystery. He is a known entity. So Paul is basically saying he was a mystery, but now he has been made known. He is Christ. In you, the hope of glory. Did you know that we are dealing with a mystery today? 
Think about it. It's called heaven. We have been told through the scriptures that when we come to be a child of God, we have been saved from our sins, salvation, and we've been given God's gift of eternal life with him in heaven. Can anybody describe heaven? Anybody been there? Can't do it. John, we're studying the book of Revelation on Wednesdays. He has visions of heaven, but guess what he uses to describe heaven? Earthly terms. Streets of gold, gates of pearl. I can promise you, heaven will not be able to be described by earthly terms. It's a mystery to us. But when we pass away from this earth and God brings us into his presence, it will no longer be a mystery. So a mystery is basically something that we know about but not, have not experienced firsthand. The prophets of old knew about the Messiah, but they had not experienced him firsthand. And Paul is saying, you have. He has come, and he is Christ in you, the hope of glory. And so we look and we see that God is using Paul to remind the church of the giftedness of God in their abilities to serve him, but also in the gift of salvation. Now Paul is now striving and laboring for the saints. The last two verses, verses 28 and 29. We proclaim him, Jesus, admonishing every man and teaching every man with all wisdom so that we may present every man complete in Christ. For this person also I labor, striving according to his power, which mightily works within me. See, Paul has a purpose. He not only wants to preach and proclaim the gospel, he wants to see men come to salvation. But even that's not enough. He knows that somebody who in our day and age, walks down an aisle, shakes the pastor's hand, say, I want to receive Jesus as my Savior and Lord. That's just a first little step. He wants them to grow in the wisdom of who Jesus is. He wants them to become complete, mature in their faith. And so it is a constant process. We call salvation that moment that we receive his gift of saving us from our sins. Then we talk about sanctification, which means growing in Christ, growing more to be like Christ. The only way we can do that is to learn more about him, to grow in our wisdom of who he is, and to become complete by allowing his spirit to fill us, guide us, draw us near to him, help us to learn more about him, help us to gain a better understanding of our place in his world. And so... Paul says, that's my goal. That's the pur purpose that I'm here. I've come to proclaim him, to help every man to grow in wisdom, and to be able to present every man complete in Christ. For this purpose, I labor, striving, according to my power. I stay up all night worrying about this. No, he says, I labor and strive according to his power, his power working mightily in me. And that's one of the things we struggle with. We, we think, well, if, I, if I'm going to do all these things for God, you know, I've got to learn this, I've got to, I've got to do this. I've got... Folks, God will gift you. He will equip you with whatever you need if you allow him to do so. 
And then it's through His Spirit working in us that He will do His good and perfect work. Yes, we do need to be, grow in our wisdom. We need to learn, study, meditate on the Word of God so we understand who Jesus is, what He has done, what He means to us and the world around us. Yes, we need to be prepared, but we don't need to be fretting because Jesus said, well, when you go and you stand before the judge, don't worry about what you're going to say because the Lord will give you the words. Did you know that he can still do that today? That when he gives you an opportunity to share your faith, to share your personal testimony, to share a simple plan of salvation, that when that opportunity comes and you are being prayed up, you're surrendered to the Lordship of Christ, he, through his Spirit, will give you the words to say, the attitude in which to say it, and the ability to share it in a way that somebody will hear it. And then the Holy Spirit will have an opportunity to draw that person unto salvation. So, you know, not all are called to be a pastor or an evangelist or a missionary, but did you know all are called to serve him, to call upon the name of Jesus? So the question I think this asks us is, why are so few Christians showing evidence of ministering to other people? Now, I know what many of you do in this community. I'm not saying that you don't minister. But I have to ask myself this. Am I doing all that God's called me to do? Am I doing everything that God wants me to be about? Are there other things that God is leading me to do, equipping me to do? If so, then I need to be willing to do them, regardless of any suffering or hardships or consequences or difficulties. See, the false belief is, well, if you're a child of God, you're on easy street. Nothing can happen to you. Everything's fine. He takes away all the pain and suffering and all the suffering and all the worries of the world. Tell that to Paul. He'd laugh in your face. He said, no, he doesn't take all that away. As a matter of fact, he calls us to suffer. He calls us to rejoice in the difficulties of life as we serve him. So we need to be true to the Christian history. Be true to what Jesus has called us to do, to take up our cross and to follow him, to be willing to rejoice in any suffering. So the question is, not asking, what is it going to cost me to be a child of God, but just simply say, Lord, whatever the cost, here I am. Use me. So, surrendering may or may not bring suffering. Just being obedient is what God's called us to do. What happens as a result of our obedience between us and God? If somebody persecutes us for doing what we know God's called us to do, so be it. There's a tremendous number of people in our world they're persecuted Christians. They basically say, you know, when I became a child of God, I signed my own death certificate because I will die because I'm a child of God. And that happens throughout the world today. Others say, whatever I've had before I became a child of God, 
will be taken away from me because I'm a child of God. I will lose my job. Many countries, they have given positions. And when the government finds out that you're a child of God, that position's taken away from you. Your home's taken away from you. Your livelihood's taken away from you. A dear lady who was a doctor in one of these places, when it was found out that she became a child of God, they gave her a scrub brush and told her to go clean the toilets for the rest of her term. She said those were the cleanest toilets in any hospital anywhere around. She worked as unto the Lord. And even then she had opportunities to share her faith in Christ. Folks, you never know what it will cost to say yes to Jesus. But isn't he worth it? Isn't he worth it? Let's bow together in prayer. Dear Lord, we come to you realizing that very few of us even have a concept of what it means to suffer for the cause of Christ. Lord, we have very seldom been in a situation where we would even face that. Lord, we know that there are many in our world today that wake up every day knowing that they will suffer simply because they're a child of God. Lord, we pray for them. Pray for your spirit to strengthen them each and every day. And Lord, for your will to be done through them. Lord, help us to be found faithful by surrendering to you and not worrying about what it might cost, but to do whatever your spirit leads us to do and to do it faithfully. Help us, Lord, to be found faithful. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.